Hello, Saints. Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not, in Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. The Apostle Paul posed a very important question to the Galatian believers, the believers at Galatia, a town named Galatia, that had been invaded with the concision, the wolves of Judaization. They were trying to bring the born-again New Testament Gentiles at Galatia back under the keeping of the law. And there's no part of the law or keeping the law that is necessary for salvation, that there could not be a clearer message in in the New Testament. The salvation of God is provided only through His only begotten Son, who is the only one who ever kept the law perfectly. Then Colossians 2, 14 through 17, Jesus Christ our Lord bore our sins on the cross and nailed the law, which was against us, to the cross, taking it away. I've got good news for you, and if it isn't good news for you, it's because you're a Pharisee at heart, and you need to get saved. Uh, repent and put your faith in in Christ. The good news is that Christ our Lord fulfilled the law, nailed it to the tree, and it's through faith in Him and His merit that justifies you and I. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. We cannot be saved outside of the grace of God, and we have access to the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, many times, several times in the Gospels, it's recorded where the Father spoke audibly from heaven and said of his Son, only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, and when we're in Christ, having received him upon repenting, John 1.12, and been regenerated by our Lord, we're pleasing to God. When we're in Christ, we're pleasing to God. Not when we're trying to strive in our own flesh for sinless perfection. And that's what we've got going on a lot across the board. I meet a lot of people online, especially, that are not even saved. They're about the most harsh, demanding, unloving people I've ever met in most cases. And they're striving in the flesh. God doesn't want us to strive. He wants us to surrender. The Bible says, and that surrender goes together with repentance. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 21, wraps both up, but in a full counsel perspective of the Word of God, we have to be in a place of repentance, a place that we are laid down and surrendered to the Lord. And our faith is in Jesus Christ. You see, without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is. He is our salvation. He is fully sufficient, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So our call is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to diligently seek Him, and to trust in Christ and His finished 
work on the cross. Either Jesus paid for it all or he didn't. On the cross, he said, it is finished. That means it's paid in full. Now, the legalist, and that is a biblical term, it's not used just that way in the Bible. The word doesn't appear in the Bible, but there is a truth, just like Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of a Trinity is. Well, the concept of an evil, pharisaical legalist is in the Bible. Just try reading Matthew 23 with an honest heart, and you'll see that. You see, we've got to beware of this legalism and lasciviousness. Now, some folks, when you preach on trusting God, they get all up in arms, get upset, and say, you're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, and, you know, we can't live in sin, and they throw a bunch of scripture at you, which is good, but it seems like they know enough to get themselves in trouble. We've got to take, keep learning, and we've all got a lot to learn, and we need to stop acting like uh, we have the market cornered on the truth, and especially among believers. Our discussions should be unto godly edifying, which is a term we see in the New Testament, godly edifying. I'm talking about Jesus Christ today, my friend, and whether or not his sacrifice on the cross was enough, and what is it that a man needs to do to appropriate all the benefits of that sacrifice, the sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who laid down his life for us and bore our iniquities, according to Isaiah chapter 53, and made peace between God and men. Yes, even Jesus Christ, the in the blood of his cross that made peace between God and man. Colossians chapter 1. In fact, Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest, Jesus Christ, became us, uh, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. This unfathomable Messiah, which we don't even begin to understand, came to the earth in fulfillment of his Father's word and laid down his life so that we could be saved. And that's no small thing, my friend. And we do violence to the grace of God when we get saved. The Lord finds us, convicts us, and we get saved. And like the Galatians, we have begun in the Spirit, and then we then take upon ourselves to try to bring perfection to ourselves in the flesh. And that's exactly what Paul's addressing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, when he says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? And Paul is arguing violence Violently, hate to overuse the word, but absolutely concerning these soul-damning heresies that these Judaizers had brought into the Galatian believers to try to move them away from Christ. Let me tell you, if it's anything but Christ, it's eternal damnation. And he even said, these people are accursed. And if you're listening to me and you're a believer, I want to encourage and challenge you to read the book of Galatians this week and to highlight and to memorize in the cross-reference scripture to get these truths in established in your mind and heart. You are going to be challenged. I'm warning you, precious saint, that you are going to be challenged from now until the day you're with Christ. If you go with Christ, if you endure to the end by faith, you're going to be challenged to move your faith off of Jesus Christ, the only sufficient one, the only salvation that there is, onto something else. And it could be anything else. It doesn't matter what else it is. It is eternal damnation. This is another gospel another Jesus, and it's propagated and lures you in by another spirit. You know, you run into people who insist on keeping Saturday holy because they believe we're still under the law of the Ten Commandments. Excuse me, the believer is not under the law of the Ten Commandments or any other Old Testament commandment for salvation. Romans 10.4 And if you think they are, you're very unlearned. If you think a New Testament believer needs to keep the law to be saved, you are not saved. You need to get saved. You don't know Jesus Jesus Christ. Because if you knew a little bit about Jesus,
Jesus Christ, you would know that he nailed that cross to the tree. When he said it is finished, he meant the law is done. And Romans 10.4, we need to memorize the scripture. It says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Mm. So it starts off with Christ and the verse ends with faith. If you put your faith in Christ, you're not under the law. No man has ever kept the law. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, not to make us. God knew we could not keep the law after the fall of man. Galatians 3.24 says that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You're either under the law, the Old Testament law, and accountable for every single part of it. If you offend and break even one small part of it, you're guilty of all of it. And that's James 2 verse 10. But if you've put your faith in Christ, having surrendered, been convicted by the Holy Spirit and the law to see how sinful and exceedingly sinful you are. You see, that's what the law does. It magnifies the sinfulness of man, Romans 7, and causes him, even those that are of contrite and humble spirit, God will receive no other, to fall upon the mercy of God that's been provided exclusively in Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior of the world. Hallelujah. In fact, the Bible says in Titus 3, verse 5 and 6, and before I read this, I want to really encourage you, and I think you'll see why in a minute when you hear these words, these absolutely magnificent words of our Lord. I want to encourage you to memorize this passage. You might not even try to memorize it as much as read it and get it in your spirit. Pour over it prayerfully, beloved, and let your heart be saturated with this eternal, absolutely beautiful truth of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. And let me tell you, when you get this in your spirit, it's going to cause all self-righteousness to be vanquished from your life. Amen? It's all going to be gone. In fact, I like to pray this prayer just about every single morning out loud, and it just brings my spirit and my mind into subjection to the Word of God and helps me to rest afresh in our Lord Jesus Christ and not try to carry my own weight and salvation. You see, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. That's another good one to memorize. Not by might nor by power, that is, of the flesh, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We're going to get into that a little bit more in just a minute. Titus 3, beginning in verse 5 through 7. You can read this whole text and it really brings it into focus, but I'm going to stick with 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, Paul writes, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You see, whether you realize it or not, to take upon yourself the idea in your mind, the notion, and God looks at the innermost parts and intents and motives of our hearts. And he said in Psalm 51 that he would desire truth in the inward parts. And the scriptures reveal his truth. They are his truth. If you begin to take in notion and philosophy and your heart and mind on the task, the impossible task of carrying your own weight, you're denying Christ. You're denying God the Father who sent his son. You're basically saying you didn't need to send your son, Father. Jesus, I despise you. I don't need your sacrifice. It doesn't matter if you realize it or not, friend. This sin of unbelief is at the root of every other sin known to mankind. And it's an evil heart of unbelief, he says, and a hardened heart through sin that causes this to happen. Uh, Hebrews 3, verse 6 and verse 12 through 14. So he says here, Titus 3, verse 5 and 6 and 7, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to break this down. I want to stick with our subject, but I want you to look up regeneration and find out and get a grasp of what that really means. 
So it's not by works of righteousness that we're saved. In the preceding verses here, uh, speaking of the exceeding sinfulness that we are outside of Christ, see, it's only in Christ that we have salvation. It's only in Christ that the Father's pleased, and in those who are in Christ. John 15, Jesus speaks of abiding in him, and without me you can do nothing. Verse 5 of John 15. Get that in your spirit. Read over that chapter until it becomes a part of your whole thinking, your mind, your heart, and keep reading it and keep that revelation alive, beloved, so you're not drawn away to trust anything else. You see, the law is a tool of Satan because it's God's law. It's also biblical that if you're trusting in the law, you're accountable for all of it and you can't keep it so you're damned. You have no hope or possibility of being saved. You see, but if you can take scripture and twist them and misuse them and misapply them as a false prophet creating doctrines of devils and as a minister or person that claims and feigns to be a minister of righteousness and yet is a child of the devil, 2 Corinthians 11, 11 through 14, you can use this effectively and draw away disciples after yourself and lead them on the wide road that leads to eternal damnation by causing people to begin to trust in keeping Saturday as the Sabbath. That isn't the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. It is ridiculous if you understand the revelation of the New Testament. Jesus is our Sabbath, capital S. We rest in him from trying to work for our salvation or from trying to keep the law for salvation. Listen, Romans is the ABCs of the gospel and of the faith. It's been rightly coined as the ABCs of the faith, the gospel. I want to encourage you to read Romans and read it and then read it again and read portions of it every day and get this in your spirit. Titus 3, 5 through 7, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You see, we never merited salvation, redemption, or forgiveness of our sin. Christ alone merited it. That's why he came. Galatians 2, 20 and 21, I am crucified with Christ. Identify with the death of Christ on that cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me in the life which I now live in the faith and the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you believe that keeping the law or any part of the law, and even one little part of it, like Saturday or circumcision or what you eat, if you're being taught that's important to your spiritual life, you are apostate. You do not know the Lord and you need to get saved. And beloved believers that are listening to me, you must guard against and mark Judaizers who Paul calls in Philippians 3, 1 through 3, the evil workers, not just workers, but evil workers, the concision, and he calls them dogs. That's the lowest thing you could ever call anyone in Jewish society. In fact, God thought Jezebel to be so despicable that he had her thrown down from a building and he had the dogs eat her. What does that tell you about Jezebel? That even dogs, God would have dogs eat her. That's not an accident that was ordained of God. And let me tell you, Paul even said, I believe it's in Galatia also, that he would, that these evil workers that were trying to bring people out from under trusting Christ fully for their salvation back to anything else, law or anything else, he said that he would, that they were cut off. Cut off. That's severe language. This is not a game, friend. If you think I'm strong about this, you do not know the scriptures yet. And I want you to get into the scriptures. You're going to see Paul. He never gets more violent and more of a bulldog about any truth than he does about the faith of Christ as a 
opposed to Judaizing wolves who have crept in among us to draw away disciples after themselves and to bring them to damnation. So Titus 3, 5 through 6, not by works, underline the word not, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through, not the law, but through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. It's only through Christ that we can be saved. Now, I want you to listen to Galatians 5, 4, which says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. In other words, his salvation is not applied to your life. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Can you fall from grace? Absolutely. Why would that kind of language be in the Bible if you couldn't fall from grace? Galatians 2, 16, knowing, this is just a few little highlights out of Galatians I'm picking up here, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see, when you begin to walk in will worship, striving instead of surrendering, and by the way, the word, the term will worship is found in the last verse in Colossians 2, extremely important chapter. I want you to write that down and get that in your spirit. Every word of it, Colossians 2. Will worship, where you begin to take the responsibility for your own salvation, having been saved, regenerated, and having begun in the spirit, you're now trying to become perfect in the flesh. And we got a lot of that running around with this misguided, heretical, sinless perfectionism in the flesh. Now, sinless perfection is biblical in the sense that if you're in Christ, you have no spot or wrinkle in you. All of your sins are washed away by the blood of a lamb. You know, if you have fallen, not that you have to, but if you've made a decision to let lust conceive and then it brought forth sin, you know, James 1, 14 and 15, that wasn't because God tempted you. That was because you allowed these evil things in your heart. Well, if that's happened, then you and I, we need to repent, confess our sins. It's only if you confess our, we confess our sins that he's faithful and just forgives our sins. We need to get back in the light, get out of that darkness, get that sin out of your life and don't keep a short list with God. In fact, God will give you the power to overcome all sin. Now, am I one speaking as insinuating and I'm walking in sinless perfection 24-7, 365 days a year? I'm not quite there yet, but I am learning to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Christ. And that's what's missing in every single person I've heard that's pushing sinless perfectionism. The absence of so many biblical truths, such as some of the ones we're talking about now, is greatly distorting their perspective. And they need to really, their mouths must be stopped. They must be shut, the Bible, Paul said. They need to really shut up. They need to know what they say and aware of they affirm, Paul also said, quote unquote, because they know just enough to get themselves in trouble. Sinless perfectionism is not attainable by the flesh. If it was, Jesus didn't have to come. You're calling God a liar. You're spitting in the face of the Son of God. That's what we read in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. See, sinless perfection is when you're in Christ perfectly, abiding in Christ, and then you can overcome this all sin, the world, and the devil, but not any other way. Jesus taught the daily cross, you see, where you die. You know, He said, if you're going to follow him, and not one of these people that's preaching sinless perfectionism, I've never heard one of them mention the daily cross. They don't even have this in their theology, in their understanding of God. Jesus taught this in every one of the gospels. you got to die like a seed, a grain of wheat that goes down into the ground, and God is going to lift you up in his resurrection power. And that's when you can walk in the power of God and overcome all sin, but not in the flesh. You see the difference? There's so many scriptures on this topic. I want to 
encourage you to get a copy of the book, I Die Daily, and the sister book to it we have, and I split it in two, so I Die Daily wouldn't have been 400 pages long or 500. So I want to encourage you to get I Die Daily and also Raised Up. You can find them both at safeguardyoursoul.com, and I believe, I know, the scriptures in these books will absolutely mature you, transform you, and cause you to have a much deeper understanding of things of God and of walking with the Lord. Now, let me say this for a moment. There are, speaking of the books here, I had a guy today that was railing on me because he thought I was teaching lasciviousness. He doesn't even know me. He caught a thing or two that I said about being justified, not by law, not overcoming sin by self-effort and, you know, striving, but by surrender. And he, you know, started insinuating that I was justifying sin. Well, I don't think he's read, uh, even knows I wrote the book, Lie of the Ages. That's probably the most severe book in print other than the Bible on sin that you're ever going to find. And repentance and the necessity of personal holiness, or you will not see the Lord. That's absolute. But that is not attainable in the flesh, precious. And that is a missing biblical component that is causing many to stumble and to try to strive and be good enough. You're not good enough. Surrender. Your heart is deceitful above all things and not only wicked, but desperately wicked. And you can't even know it. Best thing you can do is fall at the feet of Jesus, fall on the mercy of God and full surrender, which means repentance and put your faith in Christ, announcing with John the Baptist that, Father, Lord, you must increase, but I must decrease. Die, friend. Stop trying to do and just die. Too much doing, not enough dying. Too much striving, not enough surrender. Wave the white flag and throw your hands up on your knees and say, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. Like the two men who stood in prayer before the Lord Jesus taught. I believe it's 18th chapter of Luke. He said two men went to pray and one had 30, you can count them, I think it's 34 words he prayed and he pointed out how wonderfully righteous he was and how wicked everybody else was and you know you don't really have to say those things for God to know them if they're in your heart because God looks on the heart, scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7. You see, it's all self-righteousness. We need to put a harpoon, the harpoon of divine truth into all self-righteousness to the depth of our thinking and get rid of it and be broken before the Lord. You and I have no righteousness, zero outside of Christ, the only one in whom the Father is pleased. Now, technically, he's pleased in all those who are in Christ, but he's only pleased in them because they're in Christ. Memorize it. Where the Father said, one of the places it's written in the Gospels is Luke 3, 22. This is my beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whom I am well pleased. Meditate on that, beloved. Memorize it and meditate upon it. It will change your life. Now, again, the daily cross is so important. Jesus said, if we're going to follow him, this is essential, in other words, then we're going to deny ourselves, take up a cross and follow him. So if we're not denying ourselves, if we're not learning this cross, if we're not identifying with Christ and his death and burial, then we're not following Christ at all. You can't follow Christ your own way or any other way. You see, the daily cross, first of all, the propitiatory cross of Christ, whereby God atoned for the sins of the, quote, whole world, 1 John 2, 2, have been accomplished on that cross through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, exclusively and only through him. And then Jesus told us to take up the daily cross, to identify with his death. And what happens then? Well, you're going to learn through the scriptures, and we really bring this out in the books, I Die Daily and Raised Up, that God is going to raise you up by the power of his Holy Ghost that raised Jesus from the dead. But the Holy Spirit did not raise Jesus from the dead until after Jesus was dead and buried. Now, apply that to your life. Are you raised up in the power of the Spirit, bearing fruit, pleasing to God every day? If you're not, it's because you're not yet identified 
identify in the death and burial of, of Jesus. Now, if you identify with Jesus, fully surrendered, read Romans 6 until it comes out of your ears. Well, if you're dead and buried with Christ, then he's going to raise you up. In a, see, we're so trying to live the Christian life. Stop trying to live the Christian life. Die to yourself. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. 3. Memorize that. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's a prerequisite, if you need to read the next verse, for being ready for the return of Christ. you got to die, okay? Stop trying to do and just die. Surrender. And then the power of the Holy Ghost of God is the only one sufficient to raise you up and to cause you to be pleasing to the Father and to bear fruit to His eternal glory. Amen. We could go on and on and on about how wonderful our magnificent Savior is, the matchless Son of God, and also about this subject of surrendering in repentance toward God. Some people think repentance was just for the initial time the Lord drew you and granted you that gift, you know, repented and were saved. Well, repentance is daily, staying before the Lord, changing your mind, staying in the Lord, trusting in Christ alone, because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Romans before we finish up here. I mean, this book is so loaded with this truth. Wow. Listen to Romans 4, verse 4 and 5. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. In other words, anybody trying to work for their salvation through law or anything else, self-effort, anything, self-dependence, you know, he's still in debt to God. Now, to him that worketh is the reward of salvation, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You're in debt. Whoever's trying to trust anything but Christ. we got to get to know Jesus. You see, that's the whole key here. When we get to know Jesus, we're going to see that he's the, the one who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than heavens. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. We're going to fall more and more in love as we search the scriptures to discover who Jesus Christ is. That's what the scriptures are, as we read in Revelation 1.1. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It reveals Christ. And if we're missing Christ and he's not becoming more and more our first love, we're not becoming more and more enamored with him, then we're missing the whole central subject of all the scriptures. He is the sacred substance of the scriptures, Jesus Christ, all the way from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. This is the one of whom Revelation 1.5 says that he is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Hallelujah. A couple of verses in Romans. I'm going to try to keep it short because we're closing here. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. That's you. That's me. The ungodly. Don't rise up and say, well, bless God, I'm not ungodly. I'm the righteousness of God. Yes, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's only in Christ, though, that you're the righteousness of God, not in your flesh. You need to die the flesh, not try to work out your salvation in the flesh. Listen to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out, not work for. You can't. Christ did that. He's the only one that could have merited your salvation. Work out your, walk it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. It is God. It is who? It is God, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I love that verse. It goes along with Psalm 138, verse 8, which says, The Lord, not you, but the Lord, will perfect that which concerneth thee. I'm glad he's the potter and we're the clay. Amen. That's all we are is clay. And we're in the hands of the potter by faith, only by faith. If we're out of faith, we're not walking by faith. See, the just shall live by faith. Not once. Starts at one point upon repentance and putting your faith in Christ, but it doesn't end there. That's
that's what he means when he says, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Taking that in, in the scope of all of Scripture, that means walking by faith with Christ. What good work did the thief on the cross do? Zilch. Now, it's also biblical that if you have saving faith, you're going to have good fruit and good works. But those good fruits and those good works do not save you. They're just evident, evidence and proof of the saving faith that you have in Christ, not in yourself. Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I believe it's extremely important. And we learn this throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament and Galatians, that we learn the doctrine of man after the fall. What happened to man? What state was he in spiritually when Christ came to the earth? Well, his heart was deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. He was corrupt. Genesis 6, 5, and 12. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all guilty before God. We see in Romans 3, 19, and I believe in the 11th chapter, and we're the ungodly. We are that ungodly person in Romans 4, 5, that must have the imputed righteousness of Christ alone in order to be in right standing with God. And that's what we read here, the word imputation, impute. You need to learn what that means in Romans 4. Wow, we could go on and on. God bless you, friend. Please pray over this whole situation and dive into God's Word. Get in the Word of God, and the Word of God will richly get into you and teach you to walk in the grace of God by the power of the Holy Ghost and not by your own power. God bless you. All right, talking about sinless perfection or sinless perfectionism, let's ask a question. Is sinless perfection attainable? Is it God's will? And of course, if it's God's will, He will give you the power and the grace to bring it about. Yes, it is. The Bible says He's coming back for a church that's without spot or wrinkle, and that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Hebrews 12, 14, 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, also one more, be holy for I am holy. We see that throughout scripture, including 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Now, how is it attainable? Well, it's attainable by being in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is by faith, not through self-effort, not through striving in the flesh, not through quote-unquote will worship, Colossians 2.23. But no, it's not by might or power of the flesh, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, you see. And so when you start talking about faith, trust in God by faith that we're justified by the imputed righteousness of Christ, Romans 4, and not by any merit of our own, people start getting nervous, some of them, because they think you're preaching, you know, as Jude 4 speaks about, one, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's absolutely ridiculous. The grace of God is only accessed by faith in Christ, Romans 5, 1 and 2, and not by self-effort, not by trying to be holy in yourself. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 4 says, speaks of the, quote, the Spirit of holiness, unquote. We need to get a hold of that revelation and let the Holy Ghost of holiness take over our lives. That's the key, and that happens only by obeying Jesus and denying ourselves, taking up a cross and following Him, not by wrestling necessarily against the individual sin so much as coming to fresh repentance and returning to the Lord, getting rid of all unbelief and all idolatry and pride from our hearts and laying down our lives afresh. If we're not doing that, we'll never overcome sin and we're not right with God anyway. So even if it looks like on the outside and that we are overcoming sin, that's a lie and a deception. God sees right through it. Now, there are a lot of folks that are really harsh about preaching sinless perfection 
perfectionism. And I really have to wonder what's going on in their own personal lives. I could tell you that some of these guys do not have the fruit of the Spirit. And they're probably very unlovely, if you will, to be around, if you know, for their family members and anybody that's close to them. It's time to surrender and stop trying to strive. It's time to wave the white flag of surrender to the Lord. That's what real repentance is, having a contrite heart, saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Surrendering our whole will and being over to him and crying out as Jesus did on the cross into your hands, Heavenly Father, I commend my spirit. Not by taking a command of God and trying to carry it out in the flesh. God isn't pleased with that. He's only pleased with those who abide in Christ, John 15, and have a relationship or one with Christ, John 17. You see, Jesus announced in John 17 and verse 3, the whole reason why he came. This is life eternal, he said. This is the whole purpose for it, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, John 17, 3. And then he speaks over and over about us being one with him and the Father and one another in the body of Christ. Paul cried out, Philippians 3, 10, he says, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Right before that, he said he counted all things in the flesh, including the keeping of the law and trying to be good enough, but dung. That means a pile of horse or dog manure for the excellency of the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Amen. So, okay, listen to this. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to who? To them which are in Christ Jesus, not those who are good enough in themselves. No, there's no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Are we really in Christ Jesus? You know, sometimes people talk more about sin than they do about the one who bore our sin. They talk more about sin than they do the Son of God, the Savior. Hello. That's very concerning to me. Jesus is the only solution to sin. Amen. He bore our sins. Isaiah 53, First Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Romans 8, you got to read this in the King James because the new perversions, they're all corrupted except the King James. Cut this one in half. So let me read it. There is therefore now no condemnation to who? To them which are in Christ Jesus, who, that's the first condition. You got to be in Christ, got to be born again. The second condition, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's the key to overcoming sin. Listen to this. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ, the law of the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's a law hath made, because he is a life, and if you're in him, you have the Holy Ghost reigning in your life. Hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That's how you overcome, by truly being in Christ, being rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, and therefore you're not under the law. The law is not for the righteous, for, for the unrighteous. I believe it's First Timothy 1. The law is not for the godly, but for the ungodly. Listen to this. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Let's see. But we know that the law is good. If You see, the Bible says in Romans 7, 12, the law is holy, just, and good. So there's nothing wrong with the law. There was something wrong with the man. And the law magnifies just how sinful we are, Romans 7. All right, 1 Timothy 1, 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. And this, did you hear that? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, those that aren't saved, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel, good news, of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust. All right, so the law is not for the righteous, but for the wicked. Back to 
the Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, the law, friend, in case you don't know it, the law was utterly inferior, and it's been replaced, it's been abolished, Colossians 2, the book of Hebrews, etc., 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 2 Corinthians 3, the law is done. It's over for righteousness. No one could be made righteous by the law. No one ever could anyway. Now listen to this. For what the law could not do, hello, the law could not do, it's inferior, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sin flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And here's how it happens. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, there's a lot of people that are walking in the flesh trying to fulfill the will of God. It's never going to happen. you got to die to your flesh, not try to use it to glorify God by uh, feigning to be trying harder and being a better person and being a better Christian. That's not what the Bible says to do. It says you die, you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Romans 6, you identify with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. You're one with him. You crucify with him. You mortify the deeds of the body, and he raises you up in his resurrection powers. We see right here in the 11th verse of Romans 8. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. See, it's by the Holy Ghost of God raising you up to please God. See, only God can do this work. Only God can please God, if you will. And you've got to participate by obeying God, by laying down your life so that he can raise it up to his glory. Verse 12, Romans 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that's key, highlight it, bracket it, underline it. But if ye through the Spirit, now see, notice he says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Yes, if you live in sin, grace will, saving grace will not abound. You will die in your sin and go to hell, even if you were saved in the past. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye, here's the solution, through the Spirit, not through the work of the flesh, not through self-effort, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. See, it's by the Spirit's empowerment as we abide in Christ, truly, intimately seeking Him and loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's by the enabling power of the divine person of the Holy Ghost that dwells in us that we overcome and bring glory to God and that we remain in Christ. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Not being led by yourself and patting yourself on the back, whether subtly or blatantly, for you know beating everybody else up around you. And listen, we need to get under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We need to die to self, lay down our lives, and then we can go forth and help other people overcome instead of beating everybody up over the head with, you know, don't sin and all this. Well, we're sinning right there. We're not walking in love and bringing restoration to people and helping them to learn how to lay down their lives and walk with Christ. We need to demonstrate that. Verse 3, Romans chapter 8. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There it is. You see, the righteousness of the law was never fulfilled in anyone under the old covenant, but through Christ, by the Holy Ghost, living inside of us, which Jesus promised, the promise of the Father. Wow, that's a whole nother topic. These two link together, though, that he would come and live inside us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 John 3, 24. The Holy Ghost lives in us, and it's through knowing Christ, being regenerated, and having the divine person of the Holy Spirit living in us that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled, not by might of the flesh, but by the Spirit of the living God, through relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, that brings to mind Romans.
Romans 3.31. Listen to this concerning fulfilling the law. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law, you see, by faith in God, faith in Christ, the saving grace, not faith in self, putting all your trust in the saving grace of God provided through Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and you're able to demonstrate the righteousness of the law. Romans 8.4. It's fulfilled in us. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, you see. Amen. Now, let's look at another passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, man, I just got the coolest Bible from Half Price Books. It's a new Bible. It's King James Version, obviously. 400th anniversary edition. I mean, this thing is smoking awesome. It's got the whole history of the English Bible and the King James in the front. It's a big letter. It's like a family Bible. Man, this is becoming my favorite Bible, and I just got it today. You ought to go check them out. It's not in the back where they have the used ones. It's on the card or the, the like standalone stand where they have all the new Bibles. Check it out. Hopefully you can find one. I want to encourage you too while I'm at it to carry around a few big letter King James Bibles. Not new King James or the other, the corrupt versions, but the King James Bible. Carry a few around with you and God, every time God will have you lead somebody to Christ and or give them a Bible that doesn't have one. It's in an attic. Is it whatever? People need a Bible. You'd be surprised how many people don't have one. And God will use you to hand place those strategically. I dare you to try it. Every time I put one in my back seat, one or two or three, because I'm always going to get more. God, I mean, just boom, he gives me somebody to give it to. And that changes their life, you know. All right. You'd be surprised just giving somebody a Bible what it does. It's amazing. Second Corinthians 3 talks about the fact that the end of that which is abolished, verse 13. Hello. Talking about Moses, uh, who represents the law. You see, here's a verse I forgot to quote earlier. John 117. Uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Wow. That, that is a mouthful that I'm not even going to try to touch on right now. But memorize that verse. John 117. It'll be five or ten verses of John 1 you'll want to memorize. John 117. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And kind of, this is a minor point, but listen, grace and truth, saving grace of God to fulfill the law through the Spirit of God came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. A lot of people have a lot of truth and a lot of, some of those same people don't have a lot of love, a lot of grace. Amen. They're beating people up over the head like a guy interacted with today. I just shut him off after a few minutes. I'm not going to put up with that kind of stuff. Being very unreasonable as Paul said in Second Thessalonians 3.2. It's a lot of evil and unreasonable people he spoke of. Alright, listen. Second Corinthians 4 verse 10 through 12. Listen to this. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal body. Think about the cross, the daily cross. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. You see, this is the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel in your daily life. See, we always bear about in the body. We crucify the flesh. We lay down our will and cry, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. See, a lot of folks trying to live outside of the one who is the life and commanded us to die, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. See, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now compare that verse and that command, which we see all over the New Testament, with Joel Osteen and his little false, corrupted, cotton candy, false gospel of your best life now. Now your best life is going to be later if you suffer with him now. Then you'll reign with him. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 and Romans 8, 17. The only way to the Lord is through the cross of Christ where he shed his blood 
again through the daily cross. Pretty simple. Get that doctrine down in your spirit through the scriptures, my friend. Always bearing about 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12. Always bearing about. Always. It's a daily thing. Jesus qualified. He said, you got to deny yourself daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Amen. God will raise us up and use us with the glory of God shining through our lives, letting our light so shine by the Holy Ghost power to bring glory to God, not us. Amen. Verse 11, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life, here's the reason why, that, it's the pivotal word, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Amen. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. When we lay down our lives, the, the Holy Spirit reciprocates by raising them up in his power. And that's the problem with some of us are trying to overcome sin in the flesh. It's time to lay down the life. And when we do, the Lord is going to raise us up in his power. And we're going to have his power to do what only he can do, cause us to overcome. Yes, you can overcome all sin, but it's only going to be by the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God. Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by might nor power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. John 12, 24 and 25. Verily, Jesus says, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. In Isaiah 37, 31, the Lord actually identifies the remnant. He even uses the word remnant. And it's those who are taking root downward and bearing fruit upward. Yes, that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in our daily lives. You've got to get a hold of this message, friend. Again, some of the resources we have, go to the, the website and please order I Die Daily, the book. And you need that in your library. You need that on your bed, on your day stand, and with you so you can read it and then read a page every day. It will continually to remind you and put you into the realm of the cross. And your life will be fruitful and victorious as you do things God's way. Just indebted to a, a man who I love very much, Travis Bryant III, who has been used of the Lord to really embed this truth in my spirit and my mind. And he's also got a book that's going to be coming out. And it is called To Die is Gain. And it's uh, Reflections on the Cross of Jesus Christ. So get ready for that. That'll be on the site soon, too. By the time you hear this, it might be on the site. So once again, on SafeGuardYourSoul.com, a lot of resources there to bless you and to help you grow in Christ. I Die Daily, the book, Raised Up, another book on the same subject about being raised up by the power of God in your daily life. And also, this is going to become, as Travis has told me and I found myself, it's going to become addicting. It really is. You're not going to want to live another day outside of the power of the Spirit teaming up and raising you up, filling you to overflowing. That is what New Testament Christianity is all about. Hallelujah. And again, the third book I want to mention that's coming up soon, To Die is Game by Brother Travis Bryan. God bless you. And again, safeguardyoursoul.com. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're 
your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.